Hello, everyone. Evan Wickham here from Park Hill Church, San Diego. So glad you're tuning into the podcast. We are celebrating five years as a church in San Diego. This Christmas Eve is our five-year anniversary. It's hard to believe. And God's faithfulness to this church has been so amazing. And we are celebrating by encouraging our community to grow in generosity and giving to Park Hill Church. So I just want to say at the beginning of this teaching, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, if the teachings out of Park Hill Church have helped you and equipped you in your life of discipleship to Jesus, we would love to invite you to prayerfully consider giving a year-end, five-year gift to Park Hill Church through our website, parkhillsd.church. All right, let's get to the teaching. One of the seven... One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were the written names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the the Lamb's book of life." This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Armstrongs. That's good. Well done. Before we get started, we're going to be silent like we do every Sunday of Advent. Because while the third candle represents peace, we have hope, joy, and peace. We know that Christ brought peace, and at the same time, we know he's bringing peace. We're in that messy middle. 
where we have faith in what God has done, but we hold on to hope that he'll finish the job. And so let's just be still in that place of longing, in that place of waiting. Holy Spirit, come. O great Prince of Peace, Lord Jesus. The angels shouted over the shepherds, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. And Lord, you've chosen to give your favor to all who call upon your name. So here we are, calling on the name of Jesus. Jesus, come. Jesus, save. And thank you for coming and saving. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Yeah. If you're new, again, uh, welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I, we love leading this church. It's an honor and joy for us. Um, as you, as you know, today is the third Sunday of Advent, so third and fourth, and then Christmas Eve. So we have two more weeks, counting this week, where we remember what Jesus came to do. He came to launch God's kingdom on earth through his incarnation, life, death, resurrection, his teachings, and now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. Because of all of that, God's kingdom has begun breaking in. We remember this, and at the same time, we look forward to when Jesus fully brings it. He sets it up entirely, like the ancient prophet Isaiah. He, he, he wrote that the earth will be covered with the kingdom of God just like waters cover the seas. That's a very intense picture. How do you separate waters from seas? How do waters cover seas? Waters are the seas. The earth will be the kingdom. We long for this because we recognize it's not that way yet, which is what the last two chapters of Revelation are all about. They're all about that final picture. So if you need a Bible, please uh, raise your hand. We'll get you Bibles, and we're going to go through Revelation 21 and into 22 today. This is the grand finale of the Bible, you guys. Uh, like, I got to be honest, preparing for this sermon, I was nervous. I'm like, how often do you get, like, a shot at the finale of the Bible as a preacher? Um, but that's kind of where, 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 where we're going. It's, it's this vision, this vision of the future. We have a vision of the future today. And every passing day brings us closer to the fulfillment. Every day you live brings you closer to the fulfillment of this vision. Dallas Willard famously Famously, uh, you know, he made up, he kind of made up the be, become, do thing that so many churches, our church included, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That's Dallas Willard. And, and he said this, human beings think about the future, quote, as naturally as we breathe. We can't stop thinking about the future. 
Even like atheist, agnostic actor Woody Allen, he said, I don't believe in an afterlife, but I am bringing a change of underwear. <laughs> like he does, he's an atheist, but he's like, I kind of am not an atheist. No one really is. It's kind of what he's saying. Because we have no choice but to function with a sense of past, present, future. We can't not think about what might come. So let me ask you right up front, what is your working mental picture of your future? What is it, really? Like, where do you really think this whole thing's headed? Your picture of the future shapes how you live in the present, right? We automatically live out what we think the future holds. The decisions we make, especially our use of time and money, they're shaped by our sense of the future as much as by our past experiences, which tells me, I want to get this thing right. I want to get the future as right as I possibly can. So thank God for the book of Revelation, you guys. Thank God for coming to us. These last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, are a picture. They're a picture of the future drawn by hand by the one who holds the future in his hand. So what we're about to read is not some guy's wish dream. Like, oh, this is a dream, and then like Yoda, but cloudy the future is. We don't know if it'll be the right dream or whatever. No, this is not a wish dream. And, and, and by the way, what we're about to read, it goes way beyond the first readers could have hoped for. So what, is, what does John see? What does John see? The Armstrongs read, read it. Let's start reading the part before. Look at verse 1 on the screen or in your Bible. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw, John says, what does he see? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, first earth passed away. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people, God himself will be with them and be their God. He will, and this is quoted too, quote, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Incredible, you guys. And we, we said that first line out loud, the quote, a new heaven and a new earth. See those quotes? I didn't put the quotes there. The English Bible translators put those quotes there because they know what John is doing. John is ending his book with a direct quote from the end of a way older book. In the book of Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus and John, Isaiah ended his book with the same hope. And it's the same idea. All of the Bible writers have the same picture, that the end of human history culminates with God's final judgment and healing of the world. Judgment and healing. That's what all the Bible writers know, and that's what they want us to know. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible wants us to know that this is the picture, this is the correct picture. Before God can heal everything and bring us hope, joy, and peace in full, God first has to get rid of everything that insists on opposing healing. That's judgment. So here's the original passage John quotes from. So John is 2,000 years before us, and Isaiah is 600 years before John. And Isaiah wrote this, But as for you who forsake the Lord... All caps, Lord, is always God's personal name, Yahweh. 
As for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune, and you, your bowls are filled of mixed wine for destiny, meaning you worship your own fortunes, you worship your own destinies. If that's you, he says, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called you, but you didn't answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. This is in, intense. I, because Isaiah knows in order for God to heal the whole world, God must first bring justice. And, and you guys, honestly, we know this. We know this. Look at this picture. Can you put the picture? Famous sign. Um, this is from 2016 after the murder of Philando Castile. Um, and then we saw this sign a lot more on the news in 2020 after the racial reckoning following the murder of George Floyd. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. We know this in our souls. In order for true reconciliation and peace to happen, some justice has to be done somehow. We know this. Because when we really think about it, that's the only way a truly just world can exist. But right away we have questions. Well, who gets justice and, and who gets to decide, right? And what should the proper justice look like and who gets to define the right course of action and the policies to get us there? Is it you? I don't think so. Is it me? I hope so. Is it us? Is it them? And of course, that's where all the debates start, right? Everyone agrees there's problems. The debate always boils down to, well, who's, who gets to say? Who says? And then according to the biblical story, who says? Yahweh says. Yahweh says. The Lord God says. And here's where the really good news comes in. Okay? This is Advent. This is Christmas. The really good news is that Yahweh, the, one, the God who says, has come to us. This God has personally come to us in Jesus. The person of Jesus. Which means this Jesus is the only one wise and strong enough to make all the right decisions at the end of the day. And he's not only infinitely wise and strong, but he's loving and he's good. And so when we realize this, all things considered, then the real question becomes, who else would you want to judge? Who else would you want to? Not Surely not me. That's not working out for me. Nobody but Jesus. Only Jesus can make everything new. He's the only one that knows how to work it out. This is how Isaiah says this in the next line. Pay attention to the words. Look, he says, see, I will create what? New heavens and a new earth. That's what sparked John's imagination. The former things won't be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad. Rejoice forever in what I will make, what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem, take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. And the passage goes on and on. It's beautiful. Read Isaiah 65 and 66. It's amazing. You, as you read the end of Isaiah, you really, it really feels like the end of Revelation. So many shared terms. And John is intentional about this. He has all of this in view. All of this is the grand finale of history. And it's the grand finale of this vision, this revelation that we get to see. So question, what does John see? Uh, this is what we're looking at these two weeks. So, so part one is this week, and we're going to talk about what John doesn't see. What he doesn't see in the city is amazing. 
And then next week, we're going to see what he does see. Both are incredible. We know that he sees a new heaven, a new earth. And we just read, the Armstrongs just read, in the new heaven, new earth, he sees a city, a new city. Not like any city we've seen. So listen, let this truth shape your heart. The Bible's vision is not a future about the end of creation. Do you know this? The Bible's vision of the future is not the end of creation. It's actually the beginning of new creation. It's just getting started. Like you guys, 80, 90 years, just getting started. Do you see your life this way? You're part of a really long story that pales in comparison. It's 80 years is nothing. And this is not a wish dream. It's not an escape. It's not like, oh, we're, we're going to go somewhere else when we die and it's just this escape. No, it's a remaking of reality as we know it. It's a redeeming. It's everything made whole. Look how God says it in Revelation 21, verse 5. He who is seated on the throne, God, said, I am making everything new. <laughs> God doesn't say, hey, I'm making a new everything. He doesn't say that. God's not making just a new everything. He's making everything renewed. He's making this whole thing healed. Big difference. Big difference. It's a new city coming down from heaven from God full of life. You guys, this is a community thriving together full of beauty and creativity and love. So this is the picture of our future hand-painted by Jesus himself. Does this encourage you today? So the first readers would have been so encouraged. They'd be like, a new city. Remember their cities? What are the cities Revelation is written to? Remember the first couple chapters? Ephesus, Thyatira, Smyrna, Laodicea. Remember these cities? All little cities, little communities under the massive oppressor of Rome. The big city, right? Rome is the city Babylon, and the big city has its boot on the neck of all these little cities, and they're like, a new city to cover them all? A new city in a new creation? This is beyond encouraging. So whatever this new city is, it's not some ambiguous, they've gone to a better place or whatever. That's not what it is. It's not even like a return to the Garden of Eden where we're all kind of just just walking around spaced out in a garden with a bunch of you know, animals around us again. Our future is a garden, but it's a garden-like city. It's always what Eden was moving towards in a renewed earth. So, so this is concrete. You guys, this is very concrete. And it's a holy city that we've been longing to build. Governments make policies in capital cities all the time trying to build this city, and they can't because its only builder and maker is God. And John sees the city coming down out of heaven from God. This is all God's doing, and he's built it. He's building it. He's building it for us. And he gets all the credit and glory and worship. So what does it look like? What does this city look like? And what does it mean? What does it mean for us today? Um, we got two weeks in this, like I said, two weeks in this text. And, and, then, and then Christmas Eve is kind of like the Revelation epilogue. It's the big wrap-up Christmas Eve night where we close the book together and look toward a new year. So I think the best way for us to grasp what this city means is to put everything in two buckets. What John doesn't see, again, what he doesn't see and what he does see. So today, let's talk about what John doesn't see in the city, because it's powerful. What John doesn't see is 
the sea. There's no more sea. Revelation 21.1. So is John saying there won't be a body of water in the new heavens, new earth? No. Uh, in the Bible, the, the sea or the ocean represents chaos, the forces of chaos. They want to suck us back into depression. They want to suck us into despair and nothingness. They, it's just the void. Nietzsche's abyss. That is the chaos monster of the Old Testament. That is the, the chaos in the second line of the Bible. And the spirit was hovering over the tahom, the Hebrew word, the dark abyss, wanting to make something out of it. And the forces of chaos want to unmake all the good things. Plus, the Israelites weren't very good at boats. So they're like, we hate the sea, and, and the sea's just bad. So in the new city, the forces of chaos, the forces of chaos are gone. No more sea, chaos gone. No more tsunamis washing away innocent villages on coastlands. No more airplane crashes. No more mass shootings. In fact, no more guns, no need. No more guns at all. And no more internal ambient anxiety at 3 a.m. because you're afraid of God knows what. You just are, something bad's gonna happen. There is no longer any sea. The second thing John doesn't see, no more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. I call that hurt, cry, die. No more hurt, cry, die. None. Because hurt, cry, die are the dominant markers of the old creation. Look at the end of that verse. For the old order of things has passed away. This is where things get very interesting. Very interesting. And this is where it matters today. Everyone on earth experiences hurt. Raise your hand if you've never experienced hurt, cry, or die in some way. Good. Honesty. That's great. Figure that's easier than asking everyone to hold their hands up because only half of you will and I'll be like, the rest of you are okay. Just kidding. Um, it seems like these things are normal. Hurt, cry, die. It's like life is inseparable from hurt, cry, die. Right? But Revelation comes along and says, actually, things are more than they seem. Things are, that's a central message of Revelation, right? It seems like hurt, cry, die are just inseparable from what it means to be human. Revelation says, Actually, things are more than they seem. According to Jesus in the New Testament, when followers of Jesus experience hurt, cry, die, we are experiencing the marks of the old order. And the old order is fading right now. And, 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 and I want to zero in on that phrase, the old order, because that new city is coming in the future, but it's also already showing up. The new city's already also showing up. Yes, in, in Revelation 21, John sees the fullness. But listen, the whole New Testament is saying for citizens of that city in advance, it's already, it's already, it's already coming. It's already flickering into our consciousness and our existence. It's breaking in, to use N.T. Wright's words. The future is breaking into the present through the spirit-filled community of God. So I want to show you how this works with, a, with a, a graph. If you've been around Park Hill Church for long, you know we love this, we love this chart. <laughs> this one is amazing. It helps so much. This is how the people in the Bible 
the, the Bible writers viewed reality. This is how they see things. In two spheres. So you could call that old city, new city. Or old order of things, kingdom of God. There's several. Jesus' favorite word for that circle on the right was the kingdom of God. And Jesus and Paul said, the present age is giving way to the age to come, the kingdom of God. And so, if you notice, if you could flip the slide, you have, you have the age to come, kingdom of God, flip this, the next slide, and, and, and see, the first, those are the two advents. Those are the two advents. Jesus came first and launched the second circle. The kingdom of God broke in. The old order of things started dramatically decreasing and yet is still very present, which is why we still hurt, cry, die. But make no mistake, hurt, cry, die belongs exclusively to that circle on the left. Exclusively. And we belong, if you follow Jesus, you've said, God, I need your forgiveness and healing. I can't do it on my own. And you follow Jesus, you belong to the circle on the right. Even though the old order is still here and fading. This is key, you guys. So important. So we get, new, we get glimpses of the city all the time coming in. It's breaking in. And one day, the circle on the left will be gone at the second coming. But at the same time, there's so much healing that still needs to happen. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring the fullness of your city where hurt, cry, and die is gone. By the way, we can pray today that God takes away hurt, takes away crying, and he takes away dying. And you know what? He can answer because that kingdom is here. And we can also pray, and there is no answer, because the old order is here. It's the messy middle. This is where we are at Advent. This is where we are. It's why we light the candles. So the third thing John doesn't see, he sees no character traits that are inconsistent with the kingdom. Look at that verse, Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. The verse goes on. They're thrown into the lake of, they're assigned to the lake of fire to be terminated, these things. None of them are in the city. They're destroyed in the lake of fire to experience what John calls the second death, the ultimate separation. You guys, all the New Testament authors have been saying this, and now we know they meant business. This is when it happens. They were talking about final judgment, just like the Old Testament was looking forward to, the healing and the judgment required for healing. So this is really difficult to talk about for us. This is hard. This is hard stuff, isn't it? We look at that list and we see, we see us, we see our loved ones, we see ourselves in that list. So this is hard to talk about for a few reasons. Number one, we love our friends and family who don't follow Jesus. We love them. It's incredibly hard not to imagine them not in the city. It's painful. And not only are we talking about our loved ones, but we're talking about this in a culture 
where it's seen as evil to tell someone else they're wrong for having different beliefs. Right? Barna recently did a survey on millennial evangelism in the church, and apparently 49% of Western evangelical millennials believe it's, uh, it, it's wrong to step in on someone else's belief with the intent of converting them and changing into Christians. This is the ethos of the day. We fight this in our own soul because we've also seen manipulative forms of quote-unquote evangelism. But, 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 the, but this is the culture of the day. It's seen as evil to come in and say, no, your ideology is wrong and leading you down a path of destruction. It's seen as wrong to say that to people. We're seen as unloving for saying that. And I understand that. So... so so when we see that there's, there's, a certain, there's a list of character traits that don't make it into the city, when we see that, we're fighting against our culture of pluralism and relativism. But then here's the, here's the real reason why this is hard, I think. This is the real kicker, is because, because it gets personal, because we rarely consider ourselves to be the one God might judge. Right. Like, actually, how, like, we... How often do we come before the Holy Spirit in the community of Jesus and say, Lord, ask Jesus, is my heart cowardly and unbelieving when it comes to standing up for you? Is it really? Is there anything, or maybe, is there anything in my life that Jesus, you think is, quote, vile, sexually immoral, idolatrous, or deceitful, lying, because those, those are the things that are listed that don't belong in the city. Lord, are they in me? Holy Spirit, show me. This is really what this vision is inviting us to do, calling us to do, commanding us to do. And it's one of the most important questions we can ever think about. And, and back to that Isaiah, remember, the, all, the whole Bible is consistent in this. John is echoing Isaiah and Isaiah says, remember, but as for you who forsake the Lord, you forget my mountain, you, you spread a table and mix wine for your own fortune and destiny. So I will destine you for the sword. Ultimately, because I, I called and I spoke, but you didn't listen. That's it. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Because what, is, what displeases God? What displeases God? It's the chaos. It's the destruction. It's the thing that's ultimately hurting us. So what happens when we disagree with God about what's hurting us? Who's right? Who's right? This is what the prophets are trying to get us to, to, to face. And so God's saying, I will destine you for your chosen destiny. As Christians, we agree that God is speaking. The question is always, how are we responding? To be a Christian is to believe, I believe in God and, you know, I believe that church is cool and that Jesus is good. How are you doing listening to him? Jesus said this famous line in John 16. He says, I've told you these things so you might have peace. Yes and amen. The question is, are you listening? Because the only, the only time, we only access that peace if we respond to what Jesus says. Otherwise, there's no promise of peace. We can't just nod our heads and do the thing. 
that everybody else is doing. We have to let it penetrate our soul. And, and so it's one thing to self-identify as Christian when it's easy to be in a room full of Christians that we like. Anyone can do this. Anyone can walk into a Christian context like this and make connections and sort of agree with what's going on. And if, if you're here and that's you, and if you're exploring, I'm glad. That's amazing. You're welcome to do that. Absolutely welcome. So glad. But at, the, at some point, all of us who follow Jesus, we have to honestly face the reality of the city, this new city. And we realize it's one thing for me to self-identify as a Christian, and it's another thing to say, I will shift when Jesus says shift. Understand. And, 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 and when the Holy Spirit reveals to me that I have a certain way of thinking that is out of alignment with Jesus, I will change my mind. The word repent, it's just a, comes from a Greek word. Get the English word repent out of your mind. Go to the Greek word, which means rethink your thought. Rethink your thinking. That's literally the Greek. Are you willing to rethink your thinking if Jesus' thinking is different than yours? This is the baseline here. Some, because the city is full of everyone. The city is only those that say yes and amen to everything Jesus thinks. Because what Jesus thinks is what's reality. It really is. That's really what's going on here. That's the key question. So, so, so this vision is calling us to take this very seriously. And so I'll ask this room, do you have any ways of thinking or behaving currently that will no longer exist in the city? If so, are you willing to confess and shift today? The way we answer that exposes where our loyalty is. Today we're going to have an opportunity afterwards to come to the table, but also before we even come to the table, just to come and receive prayer. No one else has to know why you're coming, walking forward to receive prayer, but we just want to pray for you. That God's love and peace, the peace candle, right? That his peace floods your life as you respond to him. Not just, Lord, give me peace. I don't know. What. No, like search your heart and invite him to show you where to shift based on his word to bring, in, to bring yourself into alignment with his city. So, so yeah, uh, last comment on this and then we'll go through the last things and be done. When we talk about judgment, <laughs> final judgment, we, we often frame it as like this shocking thing. Like, it's going to be this surprising thing, and oh my gosh, I'm afraid of judgment, I'm shocked, where all kinds of hidden things are exposed in me, what, what's Jesus going to find in me, or whatever? We often talk about that, and don't get me wrong, I think, I think final judgment will have lots of surprises, mostly like, it'll be me surprised that they made it in, or whatever, you know? Like, those will be the main surprises for me. Um, because I have no idea how Jesus is going to judge anyone else. That's not my problem, why Jesus tells me not to judge people. But when it comes to me, like my own heart, I know where my loyalty lies. I know. Like, honestly, I know. I know where I'm out of alignment with Jesus. I know, like, when I'm being dead honest with myself, I'm not like, oh my gosh, am I okay right now? I'm afraid if I'm... No, like... Not, am I a liar? Am I sexually immoral? Am I bitter towards someone? No, I know. 
I know. And if I'm willing to listen to Jesus, I shift. Are you willing to listen to Jesus today? Bring your life under his authority and his goodness. That's what you're doing when you shift. You're bringing your life under his goodness. So if I confess my sins to my trusted community, they remind me I'm forgiven and they call me higher and we move on, forgiven, cleansed. So at the end of this gathering, we're gonna give an opportunity to do that, for you to shift into the life of the city of God. Um, now four more things John doesn't see in the new city. These go quick because they're put together, they're bunched together. Um, the fourth thing, we're going to get to seven because it's Revelation. So there's no physical temple. There's no physical temple. He says, I didn't see a temple. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. You guys, for the first readers of Revelation, this might have been the most shocking thing. Wait, God's going to live with us but without a temple? That doesn't make sense. Where's his building? Of course God needs a temple. That's how it's always been. But listen, in the new city, in the new city that's not how it's going to be. In the new city, God no longer has a temple for his people, but he now has a people for his temple. He now lives in you. The whole city is you. It's us. This city is a, is a huge metaphor for, for you, for us, for 2.56 billion alive today confessing Jesus is Lord. How do I know this? You read the chapter. The Armstrongs just read it over us. It is overwhelming Brilliant, you guys, gemstones and rubies and sapphires and pearls and gold. And then the 12s, did you count how many 12s come up? What's the number 12? All through the Bible, especially in Revelation, 12 represents the people, the people of God. And so, so God is, Jesus, his hand is drawing this. You know when a kid gets really into a, a craft? A kid gets really into a craft and suddenly they do just so many details and they're there for like an hour or more and it's just all these little, it's like Jesus gets, he, he like loses track of time painting this picture of his bride and he's just adding jewelry and he's adding dimensions and he's adding square footage. There's 12,000 by 12,000 cubits stadia rather this is like if you literally saw this image in space it would be the size of the moon this thing that is this metaphor for you for us this image of God's bride his his fam his beloved Jesus is just waxing romantic I, I dare say divine the divine romance is fully on his sleeve at this point toward us he's just losing his track of time painting us and he draws a picture of his city, and he spends all this time just decking out his beloved. And remember, this reality has begun breaking in. At Advent, we remember the moment God became a human. What does John 1.14 say? And God became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is the same word translated tabernacle or temple. God became human and templed with us. He lived with us. No more separation. That's why at the end of Matthew, Jesus could say, now behold, I'm with you always. To the end of the age, I'm with you. You guys, ever since then, ever since Jesus came, since the first advent, for 2,000 years, the church has been 
the dwelling of God in the world. We exist, Park Hill Church, in this building, and, and when you go and scatter and all the things, we exist to host the presence of God. We are God's house. He, he wants it no other way. This is how that city is already breaking in. We're looking at the future where God's living with us, and guess what? It's already happening. He's already living with us. It's just that in the future, there'll be nothing separating us at all. We see glimpses, you guys. We see glimpses. So we exist, Park Hill, to host the presence of God forever. And so, number five, there's also no more sun or moon. There's no more sun or moon. It says the city doesn't need the sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives its light. The light is God, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. You guys, so, so why is there no more sun and moon? Because there is more light than we know what to do with coming from Jesus. Meaning, naked, unashamed, fully exposed, fully at home. Light everywhere. No darkness at all. I don't know about you, it's hard for me to imagine a universe without hiddenness. This is a a universe without hiddenness, without anybody wanting to hide anything. Jesus is fully present to us. And, And get that second part, look, the nations, the diverse families of the world, ethnicities, and the kings of all these ethnicities They bring their splendor. That word splendor is the word glory. Same word in Greek. So wait, is this the glory of God or is the glory of like different nations? It's the glory of different nations represented, fully represented in this city. Is this how we think of heaven? What's your picture of the future? Is it a monolithic, monochromatic, monocultural heaven? Well, if if so, you need to shift. Need a shift because the new city has the kings of the earth leading nations, leading different tribes, bringing each of their own glories into this city. This is not the picture of one dominant culture silencing minority cultures. This is very concrete. And remember, remember, we get to live this out today. This is why we live this out today. Um, This is why we've launched a race and belonging cohort at the heart of Park Hill Church and why we want to continue learning from each other's embodied experiences and seeing each other because in the new city, different kings and the glories of their represented tribes are seen all seen and all glorying the one. There is one dominant, there is one dominant culture, and it's worthy as the lamb. Worthy as the lamb. That's the, that's the one national anthem we are seen singing. But that does not silence. It actually, we actually see and enjoy the nuances and the little idiosyncrasies and the, the, the beautiful little uh, the warp and woof, really. The fabric of all the different cultures that are coming in. They're seen and they're honored. This is why racial reconciliation is important for the city citizens now. Because this is going to be the way it is. Get used to it. 
is what John is saying. Get used to it. And, and, if, and if you're not used to it, he, Jesus invites you lovingly, wherever you're at, to shift toward it. The whole point of the new city is that we don't sit back and do nothing until it's here, but we live into it. And which brings us to the final two things John sees. John doesn't see, rather. The final two things he doesn't see, because next week is what he does see. No closed gates. And no more night, because nighttime's scary, right? No more night. He says, on, on, on no day will the gates ever be shut, for there won't be night. You don't have to worry about marauders. The glory and honor of the nations, again, he doubles down. The nations are welcome in this city. You guys... I just say this to be snarky, but you get the idea. The new city is not a gated community. And no offense to gated communities, I grew up in one. So I, I lived in one in, in high school. Uh, I lived in a gated community, uh, but, but that's not the new city of God. No closed gates. And this is shocking. John says the gates are, are the 12 tribes. If you read the chapter, he says the gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. What? No closed gates? No closed borders? No more guarding our ethnic identity. No longer scared of foreigners. What's going on? What's going on is Israel, the 12 tribes, have fully fulfilled their mission. That's what's going on. The 12 tribes of Israel are the 12 gates and they're open. Because way back in Genesis, God called Abraham and Sarah, Jewish ethnic people, to raise a family that would bless all human families. That was Israel's mission. By the time Jesus comes to earth, Israel's only concerned about Israel. Israel was always for the nations, but by the time Jesus comes to earth, Israel's all about Israel. Therefore, Israel is not being Israel anymore. According to God's mission on Israel's life, to be Israel is to bless the nations. When Israel becomes all about Israel, Israel is no longer being Israel. Being Israel means giving one's life away for Gentiles. True Israel exists to bless Palestinians. True Israel exists to bless Syrians and Egyptians and Greeks and Romans and Russians and Ukrainians and Americans and Chinese. No closed gates. There's no closed gates in the city. How are we living this out now? Because finally, what John doesn't see is a curse. Revelation 22.3, there's no more curse there. And you guys, if, if anything gets down into the little nooks and crannies of all of the darkness and everything we're used to in a fallen state, it's that curse, that pesky curse. The first human mistake was what? Defining good without God. My authority over God's. My narrative over Scripture. Did God really say? Did God really say? And so they defined good without God. And when that happened, Eden came under a curse. And Genesis 3 says the ground was cursed, which means work, the basic human vocation of working and resting was a bummer. It became a bummer. We got bitter about it. Relationships were cursed. Males sought to now rule over females. What else happened? Women suffered through childbirth. Curse upon curse. But in the new city, 
there shall no longer be any curse. It's almost impossible for us to imagine life outside of the curse. And even that stunted imagination is part of the curse. Revelation, it invites you. There's nowhere else to go in the world that invites you. See yourself outside the curse. See yourself outside the curse. This is reality that we're invited into. It's coming, you guys. And it's coming through every act of spirit-led generosity and community hospitality and forgiveness and radical enemy love and preaching the gospel to your neighbors. You guys, self-sacrificial Christian living is lighting glimpses of that city in our time. We wait for this in Advent, and we live it out all day, every day, all year. In that new city, the sheer blessing of God's presence has so overrun reality, there's no trace of the curse anymore, free from slavery of the curse. And in the end, all we see is mercy, like eternal mercy. So... Uh, In a moment, I'm going to invite us to stand, and then Drew's going to come, and we're going to sing. And during these songs, we're going to respond to Jesus. How is he inviting you? Jesus, how is he inviting you to shift? With that city coming, you've just seen what's not there. What can we bring to Jesus? Jesus, take this, because this won't be there. Shine a light on me here because that's obviously not going to go. That's not going to be in the city. Or maybe you need help discerning, is this part of the city or not? Just receive prayer for wisdom. God loves you. He loves you so desperately and his goodness and authority is for you. It's for you and for your flourishing. So whatever it looks like for you to step toward Jesus and shift and bring yourself under that city, Let's do that today. So can we stand together? We have about 10 more minutes together. And these first like four or five minutes, just pray. Just come forward for prayer. How is the Spirit inviting you to shift toward the new city that's coming? And it's already breaking in. Holy Spirit, would you come? There's no sun or moon in that city because Jesus is the lamp. So would you shine that light ahead of time, right now? May your loving presence expose what doesn't belong in our soul. We don't want to define what's good without you. So help us define what's good. Come. Holy Spirit, come. So before we finish at the table, I just invite you, church, men and women, young and old, high school students, and beyond. Uh, I invite you all to come. Up front, there's people that would love to pray for you. You don't have to say much at all. Just say, I want to come under the authority of Jesus. And we'll pray for you. So come forward. We'll pray for you.